August 1962 was a stormy time for France. Many people felt that President Charles de Gaulle had betrayed the country by giving independence to Algeria. Extremists, mostly from the army, swore to kill him in revenge. They banded together in an underground movement and called themselves the OAS. Well, that was the opening music to The Day of the Jackal, released in 1973, and it stars... Edward Fox as the Jackal, and Terence Alexander, Michael Eclair, Alan Bedell, Tony Britton, and a whole bunch of other people. And I would, I would mention Michael Lonsdale, who is the assistant police commissioner. I was looking for him. Why is he not showing up on my... He, uh, he is every bit the match for the Jackal. I, I watched uh, Moonraker after this movie because I, I wanted to see him play a bad guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it too, but then I got bored and did something else. It is, it, yeah, it's not as exciting as I remember it. It's not like the uh, current James Bond movies, let's just say that. But it's still entertaining, and he was great. Was Michael Lonsdale evil? Oh, very evil. And he had great a great black suit. <laughs> All right, so back to our podcast here. All right, and it was uh, direct, directed by Fred Zinnemann, and it was based off of a book by Frederick Forsyth. And so that's what we're going to be reviewing today. This is actually a take two of our The Day of the Jackal recording because of some technical difficulties, which we've only had happen a couple times in the five, six years we've been doing this, which is pretty good track record. Uh, you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And I'm Matt Johnson and I'm coming to you from sunny North Bend today. And Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles uh, where the weather is overcast uh, and cool welcoming you all back to Classic Movie Reviews and the Day of the Jackal a favorite movie of mine, and an excellent second feature on a double feature where the first film would be The Battle for Algiers from 1966, which is kind of a great lead-in to this film because of the uh, disgruntlement of many of the uh, French army officers over the uh, outcome in Algeria, which leads to our story. Yeah, and I, I went and saw The Battle for Algiers uh, Battle of Algiers, I think, uh, at the Beacon Cinema here in Seattle, which is a little art house theater, and uh, they had a like a 4K restoration that they were playing, and it was yeah, it was amazing. That movie uh, watches much more like a documentary than anything else, and I think there's a few there's a few scenes in this movie that kind of feel that way too, uh, because they've incorporated things like the big uh, parade at the end and uh, that really felt like not a movie but more just like on the spot filming of all those uh, folks watching the parade and you had even mentioned that because they actually did film it at the I think it was the Bastille Day parade that people in the audience were trying to help the quote-unquote police arrest people yes. even yeah. though they were actors <laughs> yeah there was there was quite a quite a 
quite a few incidents. So some people were surprised to see President de Gaulle get out of the car because he'd been <laughs> dead for two years, but the actor looked so much like him. Yeah, uh, and yeah, then there, there was a the... story of an older woman who uh, fainted when she saw the actor get out of the car. <laughs> and then there were a lot of people that helped the police <laughs> when they really weren't the police and there wasn't any need. So it was, But it was authentic looking. Uh, you were right, it is the Battle of Algiers. I, I got my uh, word mixed up. But, um, you know, I think... And there's an, there's an actor that was the the colonel in that movie that it shows up again in this movie. And I was like, Whoa, does he play the same character? But he actually doesn't play the same character. No, uh, he, uh, he suffers a bad end. Boy, he does. Nothing's going to go right when you get rolled up in a carpet. <laughs> that's, <laughs> True. Not to give away any secrets. <laughs> it's never going to be a good day when that happens. Uh, it, it seems to me like the battle of Algiers is so realistic, and it's aided by the black and white photography, with the Technicolor for Day of the, the Day of the Jackal. It still seems like a documentary near the end when it really heats up in terms of the chase. But uh, I don't know something about black and white to me harkens back to the old newsreel days in the movie theater where you'd see you know the events of the week. So this movie. Um, with the director, Fred Zinnemann, who's a genius at photography and, and movie direction. In his career, he did 25 films, and he had 66 Oscar nominations. That's, Holy smokes. That's quite a track record, and we've reviewed some of his films. High Noon, 1952, and then he also did uh, From Here to Eternity, 1953, Oklahoma, 1955. And A Man for All Seasons, 1966, plus many, many more. Sometimes I forget that he was involved in the musical Oklahoma. Oh, okay, yeah. What a talented, what a talented man. And what he did with this film is he, he brought every little detail to the screen, all the planning and the background and the backstory, and it, it was perfectly pulled off by the actors, too, especially the jackal. Edward Fox. Oh, yeah, he was great. He was great. I, I was reading that uh, um, Roger Moore wanted to be the Jackal, and uh, they decided to go with Edward Fox because he was more of an unknown at the time, and Roger Moore was pretty famous. And uh, they, I, I read that they thought maybe that contributed to the movie not being as big of a success in the box office uh, but I, I, I think it, I think he was perfect as the Jackal. I can't imagine anybody else playing that role. He was just so perfect as this, I don't know, almost sociopath. Like he, he, when you, when you first meet him, he seems like a quote unquote normal guy. Especially when he, <laughs> you know, the first scenes of him, uh, uh, coming out of the uh, commercial airplane, uh, when he's on his way to set up the engagement. He looks like he stepped out of the pages of Gentleman's Quarterly. Yeah, he's very well put together, very friendly looking. And but he immediately you get the idea that he's he's not a good person cuz he he is scoping out everybody in the airport trying to find somebody that he can steal their passport and he has a very specific kind of look that he's trying to find because we find we 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 learn later why, but 
he he <laughs> from the very first kind of second scene that well from the second scene that we f- see him in he's already committing crimes you know he is and you know i i, I can't see roger moore pulling that off because uh mr fox was also so physically fit i mean he looked like he could run a marathon uh do a long swim and then still uh engage in his uh, murderous plots all in the same day well, which is important because that does come into play later in the movie, um, especially after that car chase and wreck oh. in the forest, you know? Yes. I, I did think of someone that could pull that off, though, as a, as a role. Daniel Craig, the current well, yeah. James Bond. He he would be perfect in that role. In fact, they're, they're almost identical in terms of their physical fitness and appearance. Well, and, and actually, that's interesting that you say that because I think the current Bond played by Daniel Craig is, is very reminiscent of the jackal in this movie to me um, in, in terms of how he presents himself on the screen in, in a lot of ways oh no kidding because you know uh, Haley Noah and I were watching this and you know we saw the running time was almost three hours and we're like oh my gosh I don't know maybe we'll watch this in two parts you know because it's a it was kind of getting later in the evening and we, we got so sucked in that by the time I realized that maybe I should check how much more of the movie's left, I think there was only about 20 minutes left. And we're like, oh, well, I guess we'll just finish it. <laughs> oh, it, it moves so quickly. I mean, there isn't any downtime in this film. Yeah, and every scene is, is, is needed. Like, I, I can imagine them, you know, in the editing room, like, well, should we take this up? Well, you know, it's really getting kind of long with the running time. And, you know, there's nothing I can imagine that, they could take out because every like you said every little detail is a part of the bigger story like putting the puzzle together edward fox has had a long career too i was looking that up the other day he's done 70 films and uh plus tv appearances and you'll remember him if you've seen the film gandhi he's in gandhi from 1982 and uh force 10 for navarone he's in that from 1978 and another character in this that I really liked is Der- Derek Jacoby. He plays the assistant police commissioner's uh, right-hand person. And uh, he's, he's a wonderfully talented actor. And uh, he, he was in Doctor Who, he was the master. I remember we talked about this. Yeah, that was interesting that you mentioned that because then I, I got on a little research kick because he... he is in an audio production of Doctor Who playing the master, but he was never in the television series as the master. Oh, okay. Well, he he's a, he, he, he performs in every kind of venue. He's done 60 films, 50 live theater, uh, and television. He, he played on a, a British uh, comedy, Vicious, where he was the roommate with Ian McCallum. And it's hilarious how they interact. He's still making with each other. movies. I'm looking at this on IMDb. It's he's he was in the recent Murder on the Orient Express. That's right. Yes, he was. He was yeah. in Tolkien, um, the Crown TV series. Uh, he's in three movies that are. Oh, never. He's in one movie that's in post production and one that has yet to be released. So he's still making movies. Not bad for being 81 years old. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> well, this film, uh, gosh, it was released, uh, I know I went to it real, really soon after it came out. It was released in May of 1973, and uh, 
it, it, it did okay at the box office, but it wasn't like some of the other Fred Zinnemann films like uh, From Here to Eternity or High Noon, which were very successful at the box office. But the story is amazing because um, it kind of comes out of the Battle of Algiers that many French generals are upset. They, it's, the film starts off with the assassination attempt of de Gaulle which was really botched. I think they had over 100 bullets that were fired in just a few seconds, and nobody was killed in the, uh, in the car chase uh, ambush-type scenes. And now that Yeah, those guys were worse shots than stormtroopers in Star Wars. No kidding, and I assume they were all <laughs> army personnel. I don't know that, but... So now they have to regroup because they they have so many spies within their group that uh, the government knows almost as much as what's going on right away as as they would within the high command of the uh, of the of the army officers group OAS. <clears throat> so they decide to go outside the organization and recruit a professional assassin who goes by the code name Jackal, and that's when. We see Edward Fox enter the scene. And this man, to say he was planful is an understatement. Man, he he had every step of his uh, adventure planned out in, in, in advance, and, and he had every contingency covered. Yeah, that was cool. I, I love that scene when we first meet him in the hotel room where, where he's with the three top people that are planning this assassination, and... They ask him, well, is it possible? We are not terrorists, you understand. We are patriots. Our duty is to the soldiers who died fighting in Algeria and to the three million French citizens who have always lived there. So you want to get rid of him? Speaking as a professional, do you think it's possible? It's possible. The point is getting away with it. And speaking as a professional, that's a very important consideration. But in principle, you'd say it could be done. Yes, with enough time and planning. Would be much more difficult than most other targets. Why more? Because the goal is the best security service in the world. Their information is first class. You see, gentlemen, not only have your own efforts failed, but you've rather queered the pitch for everyone else. How dare you suggest that? work, you simply can't afford to be emotional. That's why you've made so many mistakes. But if we decided to employ a professional... You have to employ a professional. Your organization is so riddled with informers that nothing you decide is a secret for long. No, the job would have to be done by an outsider. The only question that is by whom and for how much. Will you do it? Yes, how much? You must understand that this is a once-in-a-lifetime job. Whoever does it can never work again. How much do you want? Half a million. What? In cash. Half in advance and half in completion. Half a million francs? Dollars. Are you mad? Considering you expect to get France in return, I'd have thought it a reasonable price. But if you can't manage it, then there's nothing more to be said. We accept. How many people know about this? Just the four of us. Let's keep it that way. This job depends on absolute secrecy. No notes must be kept. If any one of you is captured, I shall feel free to call it off. I suggest you stay in a safe place under guard until the work is done. Agreed? Agreed. The planning will be mine. No one else will get the details and you'll hear nothing from me again. 
This is the name and account number of my bank in Switzerland. When they tell me that the first $250,000 has been deposited, I'll move, provided I'm ready. But I'll not be hurried in any way. Agreed. Now, all I want from you is a telephone number in Paris that I could call about changes in the girl's plans. But the contact must know who I am or what this is about. Send me the phone number by mail. I'd like to know how you expect us to find half a million dollars so quickly. Use your network to rob some banks. One last thing. What code name will you use? Why not the Jackal? Why not? It's funny because he's kind of playing it off as coy, like, well, if it were to be done, you know, and he, he's almost acting like he's not there to be the one who's going to do this, right? Like, he's he's a consultant on assassinations or something. <laughs> and, he, and he knew right away that if he did this, he could never work again, so it meant a lot of money. Which surprised yeah. the officers. What did, what did we figure out that it was? It was uh, it was in the millions of dollars, wasn't it? He he wanted five hundred thousand. He wanted five hundred thousand francs, and they thought it was francs. And you know, he said no dollars, and they were like, "Right, right, we don't have that kind of money." And I want half up front and half when it's done. We converted that, and it was like around three million dollars, I think, wasn't it for today? Yeah. Oh, I wonder if I have that in my notes. It was three or four billion, maybe even more. It was a lot of loot. <clears throat> so he just tells them to go rob banks. They, you know, so they, they do that. They start robbing banks and armored cars. And I mean, these are retired army officers of the French army. Wow, they really... Uh, but they feel like, I, I, you know, if you look at it, yeah, they're bad people. Okay, just let me say that. But if we if we look at it from their perspective, they feel like they've been betrayed and that the current government is illegitimate, right? And Oh, yeah, they even say that. Yeah, what I liked about the story and also the Battle of Algiers is it's so much about like French colonialism in the world and how they were losing their, their grip on all these countries around the world. And, and de Gaulle and his government came in and, and were much more progressive about wanting to make changes. And this old guard wanted to do everything they could to hold on to power. And that was really apparent in Battle of Algiers. But, you know, you look at what they went through to plan this assassination of de Gaulle, and, you know, they were doing everything they could as well to try to hold on to this uh, old world power that they had. Uh, what was fun watching it for the first time, because this was the first time I'd watched it, there were moments where I was like, why are we meeting this character? Or, you know, what is the significance of, like, him befriending that woman at the hotel you know later in the movie and 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 then it all becomes clear by the end of the movie that those were just all backup plans that he had but yeah there's the one where he steals the passport and he wants to look like that school teacher from uh, De denmark was it or belgium yeah belgium and, i think and then uh way moving way ahead he goes to that uh sauna set up in paris so he can meet a man so he can stay with the person with that man, and avoid instead of in the hotels, in the hotels. because yeah. yeah, they're they're looking, they're searching all the hotels, yeah. So so the, it it follows a very linear path. Um, Should we kind of so we kind of started off there where the, where he gets hired to plan this uh, assassination and he does some research. He basically and he basically tells him, you know, I I can't tell you how long this is going to take. 
but you know, I'm gonna do my process, and I'll let you, you'll know when it's <laughs> when it's done. Um, but he has to get some forged papers made, and he needs to get a special gun made, and so he goes to was it Italy where where he had the gun made? I think he papers? was. I think he was in Genoa. He, Genoa, I, I, yeah. I know he was in Genoa to make the papers, the, the the different passports and all that that he needed. But I think it was also Genoa, and that gunsmith was that his whole life was building these guns. He he really didn't care what it was going to be used for as long as it was a exciting, challenging design. And he loved and he loved. I mean, he was really in, into his work. Gosh. Yeah, that gun that that gun that the jackal designed. I mean, even the gunsmith was impressed by the design of it. Good afternoon. Ah, yes. Yes, please come in. Do you think you can do it? Oh, certainly. So now I can take an existing gun, make the modifications. It must be very light in weight, and it must have a short barrel. A short barrel. Yes, that's a pity. And lastly, there must be a silencer and, of course, a telescopic sight. Hmm. Over what range will you fire? I'm not sure yet, but probably not more than 400 feet. Will the gentleman be moving? Stationary. Will you go for a head shot or a chest shot? Probably head. And what about the chances of a second shot? I might get the chance, but I doubt it. In any event, I'll need a silencer to escape. Well, in that case, you'd better have explosive bullets. Yes, I can prepare a handful for you along with the gun. Glycerine or mercury? Oh, mercury, I think. It's much cleaner. More comply? No, thank you. It seems, then, the gun must be carried past the customs without arousing suspicion. Recognize that. The whole thing should be composed of a series of hollow aluminium tubes which screw together. The top one holds the rifle strut, the one below the bolt with a breech inside it. The shoulder rest of the rifle doubles for both purposes without changing in any way. Yes, that's excellent. And the last two sections house the telescopic sight and silencer. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. It's really very remarkable. It's so simple. I shall need the gun in about two weeks. Yes, well, if you could meet me here uh, <clears throat> August the 13th, then you could try out the gun and we could discuss last-minute details. Very well, August the 13th. Now, the question of your fee. Ah, yes. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'd have to ask a fee of £1,000 for this kind of a job, you see, and uh, say well, another £100 or £200 for the raw materials. Done. I'll pay you half the fee now and the rest on delivery. Uh, but what's, what was kind of cool is that the jackal had said that, could you please use aluminum for the barrels? And the gunsmith's like, well, I'll, I'll see, you know. But then when he comes back to get the gun, it was made out of, um, was it steel? Uh, I think he said stainless steel. Yeah, so, and he's like, well. I asked for aluminum. Uh, yes, I, I tried the aluminium, but it just did bend like tissue paper. No, I had to use stainless steel. 
speech. It's all right. It, it looks the same. And you, you just got this idea of like, this guy is an expert. Like, he knows his stuff. You know, something that strikes me now as I've seen this movie many times, the Jackal had a certain code of honor, if you can say that about a sociopath whose job is to kill. He, he trusted the gunsmith and treated him with respect and paid him and, and uh, no more was done. But he went to the guy that was going to forge the papers and all, and that guy tried to get him, get him to give him more money. And uh, his code of honor was offended, so he killed him. It's all there. The Duggan driving license and the French identity card were easy enough, but uh, that third card was a big headache. It's nicely doggy, isn't it? Have you forgotten something? Sorry? The original driving license, the one I said I wanted back. I thought we might have a little chat about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. The fact is, you see, the original driving license is not here. But don't worry, it's put away in a very safe place. Nobody can get at it but me. Well, what do you want? I'm coming to that. What I propose is simply a little trade. I give you the original driving license and all those negatives I took of you for a certain sum of money. How much? A thousand pounds. It's worth that, wouldn't you say, to get those documents back? Yes, I suppose so. Yeah. An English gentleman can always be trusted to see sense. I can find the first 500 by noon tomorrow, but on condition we don't meet here. Well, there's nothing wrong with this place. It's very quiet. It's very private. There's everything wrong with this place as far as I'm concerned. Again about that. Nobody comes here unless they're invited by me. One has to be very discreet, you know, in my little sideline. <laughs> yeah. And then stuck totally. him in stuck him in this table. I mean, under this table where the lid opened, it looked like a coffin. And 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 Haley and Noah and I thought that maybe he wasn't even dead. Maybe he was just paralyzed. And then he shoved him in this uh, trunk. And you know, this guy said that nobody knows about this hideout. Nobody knows that he's going to be there. So he's just going to die potentially if he wasn't already dead. Oh boy! In this trunk, <clears throat> and I think that's even more brutal to that think is. about than. The forger's uh, real name, and, and I, I'd never uh, seen him before, I don't think anyway, Ronald Pickup. The actor's it's, name? Yeah, the actor's name, Ronald Pickup. Hmm. An interesting name. But it, it did show that the that Jackal had a certain code that if you double-crossed him, you, you paid dearly. Yeah, you could call that a code, or you could just basically say, don't mess with the Jackal. <laughs> <laughs> and and so he's, he's got to take this rifle out and and uh, try it out to make sure how it works. And, oh, and, that was cool. And they yeah. they we forward to a scene in the market. He's buying a watermelon, and, and yeah. <laughs> he, he goes out into the country where it's recommended. It's quiet, and he paints two eyes on it. Goes out, hangs it up. It must have been a thousand yards out. And sights, it was a ways, yeah. sights in his rifle, and very meticulously, very matter-of-fact, he gets it just right, and then he tries this special bullet.
Oh my oh, yeah. God, that was a so much re- more effective scene than yeah. it would have been if it had actually been more of a person being shot or something like that. That watermelon just flew apart. Yeah, that was cool. So, so I read that they in the original script, the jackal did kill the gunsmith with one of those explosive bullets. Oh, but no. they took it. They took it out because they felt like it detracted from the impact of him shooting that watermelon. And it was like you said, it was way more effective to have that watermelon blow up than it would have been to kill the gunsmith. Plus, it also would have detracted from sort of the character of the jackal, like you said, his code of honor or whatever you want to call that. It also uh, reflects on the creative genius of Fred Zinnemann and his staff to realize that. That would have been too much to have him do in the uh, gunsmith. It also would have taken away from the from the suspense of how that bullet was going to affect uh, the assassination uh, of de Gaulle. Yeah, if you'd already yeah. seen it in action once before. True, because you're because then you're wondering, well, is you know, well, clearly he's going to fail, right? Because de Gaulle wasn't assassinated. But you you kind of wonder like what how that's going to play out later in the movie when you when you see kind of him putting these pieces together. And so, oh, he also bought a car while he was in uh, in Italy. And oh, I looked those so up. Cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Those are very expensive now if you were to find a restored version of that. Oh, and I had to, I had all that information. It was, it was an Alfa Romeo From the early, something. mid-60s, yeah. 1960s. And there are yeah. some beautiful restored Alfa Romeos on the market at a phenomenal price. But... It, I wanted to go driving around with him, but the problem is you'd never you'd never survive. <laughs> so while so while all this is happening, the the uh, French government is on, on to the fact that something something's afoot. Like there there's something going on because the the OAS has just gone silent, and then there were all these uh, bank robberies, and but they can't. They can't quite put the the pieces together, uh, and they only have like the code name for the jackal. They think it's a code name, and then I think potentially like a location or something like that. And they get some of that information by torturing uh, one of the uh, OAS officer people that, that, who was played by the guy that was in Battle of Algiers. Who I'm trying to find who his the actor's name was. There's so many there's so many actors in the film. I I don't know I don't know which one. We should be looking for, but meanwhile, also the French government, uh, the minister, probably the minister of Homeland Security or the equivalent, wants the police to give him the best police officer they have and enter Deputy Commissioner Claude Lebel. Boy, he knows he's in the driver's seat because he takes command. What's cool about that scene was that when we meet um, his character... Uh, LaBelle, he's in the middle of feeding his birds in the backyard of his house, and he's just covered in bird poop. And he he's summoned, he's summoned to this cabinet meeting, and he doesn't even have time to change his pants. He shows up with these pants all covered in bird poop. It was just hilarious. <laughs> and uh, they give him this assignment, and it took him, it take, took him a second to realize, oh, we're the, and he says to his assistant, we're the most important people in France right now. You know, sir, what they'll do to you if you don't catch this man in time. I've been given the job, so we'll just have to do it. But no crime has been committed yet. 
So where are we supposed to start looking for the criminal? We start by recognizing that after de Gaulle, we are the two most powerful people in France. Now make notes. Get my secretary transferred until further notice. You will be my secretary and assistant, roll it to one. I want a camp bed in here with linen and all the usual, including something to wash in and shaving things. Also, get a percolator and lots of coffee. Right, sir. Get onto the switchboard. I want a good telephonist, the best they've got, and I need ten outside lines open round the clock. If there's any nonsense, refer them to Berthier. This job gets top priority at all times. Oh, do you want anything from them immediately? A person-to-person -person link to the heads of the homicide divisions of the following countries, uh, Holland, Belgium, Italy, West Germany, and South Africa, the FBI in the United States, and Scotland Yard Special Branch in Britain. How many is that? Four, seven. Get the head man at home or in the office. Ask them to take a call from me tomorrow morning and see that there's no one listening in. In the meantime, I'm going down to General Records to check if this jackal has ever operated inside France. Sir, hmm? how do you know that the jackal comes from any of these seven countries? I don't. But he must be on file somewhere. And he starts giving all these instructions to his assistant on all the things that uh, they need to do to, to take charge of this. And holy smokes, he's got countries that he needs to have contacted he has to have a special bed set up uh food he wants the world's best uh telephone operator and then uh, his assistant Derek jacoby Derek jacoby starts calling all these places all over the world yeah and um uh, he the, the british <laughs> that's the british uh get the call the head of mi6 i suppose or maybe it's mi5 probably mi5 and he delegates it to uh, his assistant and says, try to get this done by tomorrow because we have a lot of work and we're short-staffed. <laughs> well, well, he calls him in the middle of the night and, it's, and, and, and his wife is in bed and, he, and, and his wife says, well, Mr. Mallinson, uh, I'm sorry to disturb you, sir. It's Paris calling, Inspector Carroll. I don't wish to sound rude, Inspector, but wouldn't it be better if this sort of routine inquiry could be conducted through the proper channels? Preferably when we're all awake. Yes, I'm sorry, Mr. Mallinson, but it is very urgent. Commissioner LaBelle didn't wish to make a formal request. He was rather hoping that you'd cooperate with us unofficially. All right, well, I'll take the Commissioner's call at uh, 8.30, you see. Fine. Good night. What's left of it? What is that? The old boy network. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Our British guy that's now in charge of this is in a pub having a drink, and he gets a telephone call, and he goes, he's got a toothpick in his mouth. He goes over, takes the call, and he says, oh, Carl, who is, are you joking? Yeah. And then the next, it turns out. Turns out it was the prime minister. The prime minister me. of Britain. <laughs> and uh, then he goes to, the, he's directed to go to 10 Downing Street for a meeting with the prime minister. And then he comes back to his office where his diffident boss is saying, well. The prime minister. The prime minister, sir. And he said, if there's the remotest possibility of General de Gaulle's life being threatened by a person of these islands, then it is to be stopped. And he's given me full powers and top priority. Is this some kind of bloody joke? No, of course not, sir. I've got to drop whatever I'm doing. And I shall need six of your best men straight away. 
Well, where's the notification for all this? Where's the proper authority? Yes! Yes. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And then his assistant says, I'm going to need a lot, a lot of help. There was one other scene that struck me. Uh, the guy that's in charge, I think he's MI5. He calls his buddy at MI6 to meet him at this park. And so the yeah. two of them are strolling through the park, and then they sit on a bench, and he tells him what he needs. And then a few days later, they do this again, and the MI6 guy says, well, this is what we have. Uh, nothing more than taproom gossip, I'm afraid. Uh, do you remember Trujillo? Uh, you mean... Uh... The dictator of some republic in South America? Yes, Dominica. He was oh. killed in 1961. We got word that an Englishman may have been mixed up in it. Just an unconfirmed report, mind you. Did he have a name? Charles Harold Calthrop. He was the, um, the Caribbean rep for a small armaments firm. According to the rumor, he was a fantastic shot. He disappeared after the assassination. Nobody knows where he went. Mm. Is that all there is to go on? I'm afraid, sir. Just a name? Mm. What makes you think it might be him? Well, your friend's code name is uh, Jackal, right? Well, Jackal in French is Chacal. See? Now, it might just be a coincidence, but the first three letters of his Christian name, Charles, and the first three letters of Calthrop, Makeup, but and so they they go and they they like scope out this guy's apartment and they they totally like break in and and go through all of his things and they think they've got him like they think that this 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 is the guy that they're looking for and it's it's great because you you kind of believe it too at that point in the movie and you think wow they they're they're on the trail. <laughs> But you find out later in the movie that it's all just another misdirection. Like the the jackal has done such a good job of laying the groundwork for this plot that you just really can't believe anything. You just don't know what to believe. The the British suspect, uh, the name is Charles Calthrop. Calthrop, yeah. And then this MI6 guy does some convoluted story about how in one language that means... Anyway, he gets to the term jackal somehow. Yeah, like the first three letters of the first name and the first three letters of the last name put together mean jackal. And, and this, yeah, he's really working hard. He's like stretching it. <laughs> and the MI5 guy that's in charge looked at him. He said, that's it? <laughs> that's that's the evidence that you have? But it turns out to be uh, the right name for the guy. But they got they got the wrong guy because our, our fiendish jackal has has all these misdirected what they used to call red herrings that that takes them off the trail but they yeah, so they continue yeah so let's see um after the jackal gets his papers and his gun then he's got to get back into france uh but there's they, 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 there's also this other subplot about one of the cabinet ministers yes. being com being compromised by this woman who works for the OAS who was the girlfriend of the leader who was hung 
like in the very like second scene of the movie. No, he was shot. Remember? remember or his, shot. That's right. His, his famous words: "No French army officer will ever shoot me." Boy, did he have yeah. that wrong? Yeah, and then and then the in the firing squad, every single one of them shoots him. <laughs> but his wife or lover signs up to be the uh, femme fatale for this cabinet minister and get all these secrets from him. Uh, and the scene where she's first introduced to the cabinet minister is excellent because she uh, has a dog that this, the, the cabinet minister is out riding his horse in the park and the dog attacks the horse and the cabinet minister falls off and she runs to his aid and it's, coincidentally his family is out of town it's uh, that time of year when they're on vacation so she just moves in with him as his mistress and boy she's on the phone with all kinds of information about what the government's up to yeah yeah well and, and yeah she's 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 like getting information out of him like late at night when he wakes up and and he's he's not really super awake and, and doesn't realize that he's compromised. <laughs> and, and then the jackal will call into a certain number and a message will be relayed to him. So it's like this grapevine of information that he can get about. He's looking the, at him like, wow. What the uh, French government is up to and what they know. And it turns out that they, they have like a description of him, a blonde hair, blue right, eyes, about right. five feet ten. And so when he's coming back from Italy into France, they have this long line of people that they've pulled over at the border that are blonde, blue-eyed, and about five feet ten. It's interesting, though. He, he's driving up from uh, on that road, and he has he comes to a turning point, and he has to decide if he's going to continue on into France or go back to Italy and bag it and keep the first two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and he puts the top up on his convertible and goes into France. He's on a mission. And I think that was the description of Calthrop, right? Like, I, they still don't know who the jackal actually is, but it's just a coincidence. Even when he, even when he's checking in on the phone calls where he finds out what's going on, he looks, he looks so suave and debonair. He's in this beautiful town, probably along the Riviera, in this gorgeous hotel. I mean, he he had he lived a good life, for sure. He definitely did. I, I I was I think this would be a great James Bond movie if instead of him being an assassin, he was a, a spy for the British government trying to stop an assassination plot or something like that. Oh yeah, it would be perfect. It yeah. would be perfect. So then he gets back into France, and then he is staying at this hotel, this little hotel, and he befriends this woman, a married woman, by the way, who who apparently uh, is very wealthy, judging by her chateau. And and again, it's one of these setups where you're like, what the heck? Why is he spending time befriending this woman? But it turns out that he needs backups on where he can stay just in case they get on his trail. And it turns out that they are on his trail because they the uh, police show up at the hotel and they just missed him. Like, he checked out that morning. And then they find out that he was hanging out with this woman. So the police show up at her chateau, and they're interrogating her. And, and she says, well, I barely knew him. I just spent this one night with him. You know, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> yeah. And and then, like, the next... LaBelle makes it real clear that she's in trouble. Yeah, but then the, the police leave. And then, like, 
later that day or the next day, he shows up and he's just sort of like, hey, I thought I'd just check in on you and, you know, how are you doing? And we can just, I enjoyed spending time with you. And it, she's she's pretty, like, nonplussed about the whole thing, I thought, given the fact that the police were just there saying what a bad guy this is. Yeah, and, and the uh, chief uh, investigator, LaBelle, that shows up in a helicopter, which says, boy, this is urgent. Yeah, and she sort of, like, is harboring him, and he spends the night, and then it turns out, that, like, the next morning, she tells him that the police were there, and then he just gets this yeah. cold look on his face. She sealed her death warrant. Yeah, she should have just kept her mouth shut, right? Because he, he strangles her right there in, in, in the bed, and then he takes packs up all of his stuff and... Does he does he change his um, appearance there to dye his hair and stuff? I think that's where he does that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he he uh, he does the change where he becomes the uh, school teacher from Belgium or Denmark, and uh, he steals the, the woman's car. And I always wondered what must the husband of the woman felt when he shows up wherever he'd been and finds out that all this was going on and that his wife's been killed. I mean, that, that had to be terrible. God. That's pretty terrible to think about. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it, like, yeah, the Jackal is a terrible, terrible person. Like, which kind of plays into something that I want to talk about near the end about how well done this movie is. But uh, so he, the Jackal, drives to the train station in the town close to the Chateau and then gets on the train to Paris and he, he just, I mean, he literally just by minutes kind of misses a call that comes in saying that we're looking for, you know, such and such a person and, you know, let us know if you see anybody. Because he sees all these police kind of show up outside the window of the train as the train pulls away. And then LaBelle is all excited because now he knows, he feels like he knows that the Jackal is on this train coming into Paris. But he, he only finds that out with about 10 minutes before the train arrives in Paris. So then he's got to run over from his office to the train station to try to shut down the, the tracks and find this guy. But again, he's too late. He just misses him. The jackal is tough. I mean, he, he, he remember even earlier in the film, he's at a bazaar in Genoa, an outdoor market. I believe he buys a whole bunch of old military clothing and medals and <clears throat> and and he learns from uh, one of the people he's working with how to age himself i think the forger tells him how to age himself by and i'm thinking why does he need that well that's about to show up here near the end of the film he turns himself into a 80 year old veteran of world war one or maybe world war two yeah, we skipped over a little bit. We we talked about it earlier about the guy that he meets at the sauna, and then he's staying at this guy's house because the police are checking all the hotels, and so um, that guy meets with a bad end as well. <laughs> so yeah, he again he makes the mistake of saying, "Oh, I saw you on TV." Yeah, that's the end for him. Yeah, everybody, pretty much everybody the jackal meets except for the gunsmith gets killed by the jackal yeah he he's done at least uh four or five or six uh killings just to get to paris 
So now we 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 we're at the near the end of the movie, and there's this giant Bastille Day parade happening, and um, the police are out in force, and they're they've shut down all these roads, and they've checked all the, there, there's people on all of the rooftops, and they've checked all these buildings, and they think they've got the place secure. Um, but the jackal, like you said, dresses up as an old war veteran, and it looks like he's only got one leg because he's got his other leg tied up behind him. I read that the that Edward Fox could only walk around like that for about 10 to 15 minutes before he just had to uh, take a break because it was hurting his leg so bad. Oh, I, I can imagine. I mean, and then uh, he's, he's taken over an apartment in a building that's facing the square where de Gaulle is going to make a... Uh, presentation but then uh, he, he also decides so that the woman doesn't tell anybody he kills the he kills the person that owns the uh, building or, or rents the building the building manager he does her in one clip to the neck well he has no he has no compunction about taking people out if they are potentially in his way or potentially could identify him Weren't the scenes at this part of the movie realistic with the tanks and the army and the police uh, marches and? Yeah, they were because they were filmed at the actual the actual parade. And and I and I told Haley, I said this must be stock footage of a parade. Like they didn't actually film at a parade, and the, no, they actually did. <laughs> no, they they did. Yeah, they uh, Zinnemann got permission from the French police and military. To be right down there intermingling with all of these activities that just added to the, to the, uh, it's, I'm reading right here. During the massive annual 14 July parade down the Champs-Élysées, the company was allowed to film inside the police lines, capturing extraordinary close-up footage of the massing of troops, tanks, and artillery during the final Liberation Day sequence. During the weekend of August 15th, the police, the Paris police cleared a very busy square of all traffic to film additional scenes. I mean, they, they really went out of their way to give him uh, permission to do this. And it really shows up in the final footage. Yeah. But the Jackal makes one fatal mistake. He, he gets stopped uh, by a police officer as he's kind of making his way to this building that he says that he lives at. And again, he's all dressed up in as like a war veteran and he looks old and he's, he's like, looks like he only has one leg. So he doesn't look anything like what the suspect would look like uh, to the police. But uh, yeah. And the police officer does let him through, but then LaBelle is, is running around frantically because he knows that he's running out of time. And he, I think it's just pure luck, honestly, that he talks to this one officer that, had seen this guy come through and then he knows it's like, Oh, that's gotta be the guy. That's gotta be our guy. Yeah. And then the two of them, LaBelle and the officer pursue him. Uh, and, and they find, they, they, they get up to his apartment. Just he, he's already fired one time at president de Gaulle and just misses him because the president had leaned down to give someone a hug or something. The bullet and you, and you see the bullet hit the, the, uh, that was street. a close one. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. So this is the trick that I think that the director and the writer pull off so well. So 
uh, as we're watching this movie and, and he misses that first time, we're like, oh no, he missed. Hurry. You got to take another shot. You only have a few seconds. And then I, I stopped and I looked at Haley and said, oh my gosh, I'm rooting for like the, the killer. I'm rooting for the bad guy. Like, what am I doing? And it, it's just awesome because it, it does kind of suck you in and make you like root for him in a way. But then when you sit back and think about it, you, you think, oh, I'm a terrible person. Like, how could I do that? I know. And then, boy, they... Uh, he he kills the officer, and then uh, Labelle machine guns him up against the wall, and that's that's the final straw. But then they then they move back to Britain, where the two MI five guys are congratulating themselves that it really wasn't. Oh no no no! They go back to uh, to the uh, place. Uh, oh, the guy I forgot his name again. Where they were. They were searching. Charles. They go back to Charles Cathrop's apartment, and the real Charles Cathrop shows up, and he's <laughs> and really he's, upset. Yeah, he was just on vacation. He's not some international <laughs> what murderer. Are you <laughs> but then the MI5 guys are relieved that at least the the assassin was not British. But nobody that's knows. All they, that's all they really cared about. Nobody. Oh, really we forgot. Knows. We forgot to mention, or I forgot to mention one really funny scene, which is when the cabinet minister that's been compromised is called out by LaBelle. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> LaBelle says that... The following conversation was recorded at 6.15 this morning. The number being dialed was identified as Molitor 5901. Hello? Yes? Denise. They'll be here. They know he's a Danish school teacher. The contact was arrested an hour ago, and fortunately the information came from this room. Whose voice was that? I regret to have to inform you, Minister, that it was the voice of a friend of mine. She's staying with me at the moment. Excuse me. I feel we owe you an apology, Commissioner. Thank you. Now, I must report that the President will not change his mind. E excuse me. It's just occurred to me that we've got two days to catch the jackal. What? Oh, How do you know? It was silly of me not to have seen it before. Am I right in thinking that the President has no engagements outside the palace today, tomorrow, or Saturday? Nothing. And what is Sunday, August 25th? Liberation. That's what he's been waiting for. So we have a little over 48 hours. We must have been blind, gentlemen. All we need from you, Commissioner, is the passport photograph of Per Lundquist. Well, uh, Copenhagen has promised to send us it by this evening's conference. There is one thing. How did you know whose telephone to tap? Well, I didn't, so I tapped all of them. The guy just stands up. And he says, that was me. It was a woman that I met. And he just packs up his briefcase and walks out. And you just get this idea like, oh, he's done for. Like, he's done. He immediately goes back to his apartment and commits suicide. Yeah, he, he committed suicide. Oh, my gosh. That was terrible. But 
the way that LaBelle found out about that was that he had tapped every oh. single cabinet minister's phone. <laughs> I often wonder if LaBelle kept all those in his file in case he needed them for future use. Yeah, just think of all the things that uh, these guys had said that were re- recorded and listened to. But it, it, It's a wonderful film. It really is. Yeah, excellent, excellent movie and really fun to watch. I'm going to watch it again because it's just there's so much to see. I give it a 10. Uh, I'd give it a 10 too. It was it was really right up there with some of the best movies that we've watched and really glad I watched it. Uh, should I do the trivia question? Or, well, on the Day of the Jackal, this is a trivia question. The film was shot in 34 different locations, which to me is amazing. Of the four listed below, which one location was not used for filming? Which one was not used for filming? A, Great Russell Street in Bloomsbury, London. B, Luxembourg Gardens in Paris. C, the Hotel Columbia in Genoa. Or D, the Champs-Élysées, that's terrible French, Bob, in Paris. Which one was not used in the filming? And we'll give you that answer in the next episode, which will be which will be The Stranger. So I, I, I did find the name of that guy that was in both movies. It was Jean Martin. Oh! And he plays Walensky oh, in this okay. movie. Um, but again, not the same character. He is an arrogant person. In both movies. In the Battle of Algiers. <laughs> well, in both, really. We're, we're talking about the guy that got rolled up in the carpet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he got his come up and there. That was fun, and I think hopefully our technical difficulties are non-existent today, and we got a good recording of that. Um, so coming to you from sunny North Bend, this is Matt. And Bob here in Los Angeles wishing everyone happy movie watching. What the hell do you think you're doing? Who are you? Calthrop, Charles Calthrop, and this is my bloody flat. Oh, I I think you'd better come down to the yard, sir. Too bloody right I will. There's no question of Her Majesty's government ever conceding the fact that this jackal fellow was an Englishman. So far as one can see, there was a period when an Englishman came under suspicion, but he has now been cleared. Certainly the jackal masqueraded as an Englishman, but he also masqueraded as a Dane and as a Frenchman. So there's no way of proving his identity at all. But if the jackal wasn't Calthrop, then who the hell was he?